listening to the Phillies Nation podcast with Ty Dauber and Johnny Heller on philliesnation.com. What's going on, everybody? This is Ty Dauber. I am here with Johnny Heller. This is the all-new Phillies Nation podcast. Thanks for joining us tonight. We're going to talk a little bit of Phillies. We got Gabe Kapler, you know, the recap of that whole saga. We're going to talk about the Phillies press conference, some arbitration numbers, and some other off-season stuff as the Phillies season is over and we're in the Major League Baseball postseason. Like I said, I am Ty Daubert here with Johnny Heller. Johnny, why don't you introduce yourself? What's up, Ty? Uh, everyone listening, thanks again. Uh, so just to introduce our, myself, um, as this is you know our, our first podcast, I'm Johnny Heller. Um, I've been at Phillies Nation for a few months. Uh, I, I'm a big stats guy, so if you you know you follow me on at, on Twitter at Johnny Heller, you're gonna see just a lot of a lot of stats and stuff. Been a Phillies fan my whole life, um, and I'm really excited to to start doing this with Ty. So yeah, yeah, like like Johnny said, we're we're both really excited to get this show started. The Phillies Nation podcast account has been kind of dormant in uh you know for a while, and we're happy to get this this podcast started back up with us as the co-hosts. So. Johnny, first thing we'll do, we'll talk about some news and rumors. Gabe Kapler last week got fired as manager of the Philadelphia Phillies. Well, what what are some of your thoughts about about Gabe and his firing and how this all kind of went down? You know, I think I think it's been talked about a lot just over the past, I mean, weeks since he's been fired and even before. Um, just the idea that you know Gabe might not have been perfect and, and, and he certainly made mistakes and all of this uh, but the issue with the organization is, is bigger than Kapler so I, I think that his firing was more a, a scapegoating than anything um, yeah I, I completely agree with that that it was most definitely a scapegoating thing when you look at the roster construction of, of the team in 2019 some of the pitching, yeah, especially the starting rotation, there there is not a lot that Gabe could really do, yeah. and I think it's a little ridiculous that, you know, all of the front office for the most part is coming back, Matt Clentak being included, and and Gabe Kapler will not be back. I think yeah. it, it's just absurd that that Gabe is the one taking all the fall, like it's all his fault, and yeah. I I just don't think it's right. I think that Gabe was a good manager and that. He'll continue to be a good manager. I know that the Giants and the Cubs have given him some looks. I don't know if he'll get the either one of those jobs this season, but I think he will manage again, and I I think he'll be a good manager. Do you th- do you think yeah. that he'll be back this season, or when do you expect to see Gabe? Yeah, back? I mean he'll be back whether it's it's this season or another. And and like you said, like with, with with roster construction, you know when your options in the eighth inning of a tie game are Blake Parker or Mike Moore, and like. You can't. You know, there's no right decision to be made. So, so a lot of a lot of times, you know, Gabe would get killed for making a certain decision or, or whatever, and and they would ultimately lose a game. But again, it's 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 beyond him. So I think that you know these other teams will see this. Uh, obviously, with the Giants, uh, their president Farhan Zaidi, uh, he goes back to the Dodgers organization. Was a big fan of Gabe Kapler's there when when Gabe was also with the Dodgers. So I think that. Everyone has kind of talked about that as the um, most likely scenario. Um, I don't know if everyone saw the Cubs interviewing him coming because, um, you know, in terms of, you know, the culture that 
Joe Madden had. It Catholic's kind of very similar, a, a very relaxed environment and um firing Madden to go to Kapler, some would say is kind of just a similar hire, if that makes sense. So I, I think people were a little surprised to see that the Cubs were higher or looking at him. Yeah, that uh that kind of culture that, that Gabe and Madden both had, like you said, seems they have similar styles that way. And I don't know if that's necessarily an issue. I, a lot of people said that the Phillies team, they need more structure, they need this, they need discipline. These are professional baseball players. This isn't, you know, youth ball. This isn't Little League. And benching guys and yelling at them like they're children isn't going to make them play any better. So I think that that kind of thinking that teams need more of a an old-school guy to put them in their place or whatever, that that's kind of just like the way fans think a lot and not really how forward-thinking organizations tend to think. You know, the Cubs seem to not, not think that way. But like I said, I, I did use the term forward-thinking organizations, and it does seem that the Phillies may be leaning towards a disciplinarian type of guy, but it also seems that the Phillies front office is not very forward-thinking and doesn't really know what they're doing. So I think this, uh, this kind of leads into the three names that, that uh, have come out that the Phillies are apparently interviewing. Uh, Johnny, you want to talk about the, the three names that have come out for the Phillies open manager sure, yeah. job? Um, so the three guys, I think, uh, yes, we're, we're recording this on Tuesday, so yesterday on Monday, uh, Joe Girardi and um, was, was Dusty Baker interviewed yesterday? Dusty Baker, I don't think, was interviewed yesterday. I think he will be this week, though. Okay, so so obviously Girardi was interviewed yesterday. I think Showalter was also interviewed yesterday. Yes. And then Baker is is later this week. All would be you know guys who have managed before, um, all to some levels of success. Um, obviously Girardi won a World Series with the Yankees in two thousand nine. Um, Baker never won a World Series, but he won several uh, division titles. He he managed four different cities um, and got to the World Series in in '03. And then uh, Girardi, I mean, sorry, Showalter, Orioles, um, they, had, they had a couple postseason runs back in over like five, five six years ago. Um, so, I mean, the similarity between the three guys is, is they're not, not necessarily old style managers, but they're all, re, they're all guys who have managed before. And, um, you know, you talked about the idea of a, of a well, we both talked about like how Madden and Joe, both Joe Madden and, and Kapler kind of have um this culture of of a more laid back um kind of letting the players do what they want and and while we may not view that as an issue uh one of the things i saw a couple people say including uh, i remember jim salisbury saying this on the at the yard podcast before Kapler was fired is that um middleton john middleton philly's owner might have viewed that poorly and he he wants someone who can more of a disciplinarian in the philly's locker room more of a leader a, a you know so-called leader um, in the clubhouse, and and I think any of those three guys kind of fit that description. Yeah, I th- I think that uh, one thing about the three of those guys that they all have in common is that they are not the type of manager that Gabe Kapler is. That they're not exactly they're not exactly one and the same. The three of those guys, Baker, Showalter, and Girardi, but they're all very opposite of. Gabe Kapler, if if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. 
Um, I, I, I hope that they would, you know, not just look at, at those kinds of guys. I, Cause I think, um, you know, guys like Gabe Kapler have worked out really well before and just to commit to hiring, you know, a retread, I don't think is the smartest decision, but, um, for now it at least looks like that might be what they end up doing. Yeah, I would agree. You know, I think this this could be a good kind of segue into talking about the Phillies press conference that they held following the firing of Gabe Kapler, where John Middleton said that he would not want to miss out on the next Craig Council in that press conference. But honestly, in that press conference as a whole, that was one of the few things uh, that I took away that was really positive. There are a lot of negative things to come out of that press conference, uh, a lack of cohesion in the front office. Guys, you know, they did, They admitted that, that Matt Klintak and John Middleton were on complete opposite sides on the firing of Gabe Kapler, and McPhail kind of had to get in the middle of them and, and be the mediator in that situation. But uh, that, that was kind of my low point of, of the press conference. Johnny, do you have any, you know, takeaways from the press conference things that you didn't like or maybe even that you did like not that there were many things i mean the biggest the biggest takeaway um from the press conference and uh tim kelly from phillies nation wrote about this uh is that you know john middleton's the guy now he's he's gonna make the decisions he's he's the alpha you know um you know when you're watching that that press conference and hearing what you know him him say why they fired gabe and that and that it was it was, you know, agreed upon, and then flips to Matt Klintak, Klintak who who gushes about Gabe for for a couple of minutes, and and how great he was as a manager, and, and how he how he changed the organization for better, and you can kind of see that there there wasn't really agreement there, um, and I, I think it was ultimately Middleton's call, um, and I think he will be the guy um, who's making decisions, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. I mean, I don't know. Probably not. No, the I. Idea, uh, I don't think that's a a good thing at all. To be honest, you know, there's a reason that you hire baseball ops people. You know, John Middleton doesn't have a real baseball background. He is a, he's the owner of a cigar business that inherited it from his father. He's not someone who's worked in baseball. Whether I'm the biggest fan of the baseball ops people in the Phillies organization or not, you know. I, they're still much more qualified to be making actual baseball decisions than John Middleton. You, these owner dynamics with the owner coming in and bossing everyone around on baseball decisions, like they're George Steinbrenner, it just doesn't work in modern baseball. You know, these kind of involved owners is something of the past, and it's really something that hasn't worked in forever. The Yankees, they tried, they had a period of time where they made it work back in the day, but then in the 1980s, you saw it go all the way downhill Steinbrenner still wanted to be the guy making all the decisions and the Yankees weren't good for the whole decade of the 1980s so I, I think it's it, it doesn't make sense and it, it really shows kind of how far behind this organization is for Middleton to be the one trying to be Steinbrenner trying to come in and make all these decisions and, and be that type of owner I, I think yeah. that it's really poor for the organization yeah I mean I I think I I, I agree um, the one thing I will say is, you know, obviously Milton owns almost half, almost a majority of the team. I think he's, he owns, just, a, he's just under half, I believe. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and, you know, to have that guy um, really wanting to figure out a way to win, I don't think that's the worst thing in the world. Um, obviously, we saw his willingness to, to spend a lot of money last offseason, and you really hope that that will continue because that's the only way they're going to win. And, and while, you know, him being the guy to insert himself into this isn't in, into, you know, be, being the guy who's going to make a lot of these decisions, I don't think it's a good thing. I think that, um, you know, just having having that guy really want to win. And, and, and you know, he talked about how he sees all these organizations with, um, these really awesome, gigantic analytics departments, and they're all, all you know, in the playoffs, the Rays, the Astros, all these teams, the Yankees, Dodgers, and, you know, he wants to get there. And, you know, while he, I mean, in the, in the press conference, he was, he's full of himself. Like you said, he's he inherited his dad's company, not a baseball guy. Um, I, I don't think his, I mean, intentions can only get you so far, but I think I don't think his intentions are, are bad, and I think some of the stuff that he, he said, um, at least in, in terms of wanting to, you know, grow the Phillies analytics department and, and that stuff um, isn't horrible. Yeah, I would agree with that, that, you know, him doubling down on analytics being a good a good thing was definitely a positive to take away from that press conference. But just the way he even, he even talked about that, I, I know I said this to you, the way he talked about the analytics department in the, in the Phillies organization. It was kind of like that meme of Drake where he's like, we built this. This didn't exist before us. That, that was him <laughs> hyping himself up for creating the analytics yeah. department. Like yeah. everything was just about how important John Middleton is. That's, yeah. that's what the whole press conference felt like. His yeah. long answers, you know, him putting on the glasses, going on baseball reference saying, well, actually, well, actually are – our, you know, team bullpen ERA in the second half was fourth best in the league. Like such a ridiculous statement. No, yeah, like, everything I mean, everything he true, said was like, so smug. It was ridiculous. Yeah, I, I definitely agree the smugness and just like it's very just like, oh, I'm the best. Yeah, and I, I gave you I gave the fans all of this. I gave the team all of this. We're way better than we were ten years ago. You know, it's just Yeah, if know. if you know, John, if the team was uh in a good position, you know, they're making the playoffs. I would understand you hyping yourself up like this, being so smug. But honestly, you were the one that wouldn't uh, go over the luxury tax, so you made it a little more difficult for your team. You're the one who put so much confidence in your baseball guys before the season, and you're the one responsible, ultimately, with how much control you're taking over the team. You're the one responsible for the team underperforming. So for John Middleton to act so smug and be like, oh, you know, uh, act all high, high and mighty, then what is there to act like that about? This team underperformed well, to expectations. Well, he, as he said, what about this team is not better than five years ago? Because as if it could have gotten any worse from, you know, a bad farm. Like, that quote was like, are you kidding? Like, of course everything's better than it was five years ago. The worst team in baseball. Like, Yeah, and honestly, you might be able to – you might argue that being at the tank or being at the bottom of the tank with a plan might be better than the mediocrity that they're in right now, to be yeah. honest. Agreed. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, those are – that's just kind of some of my opinion on that ridiculous press conference. 
I one thing I did learn was that I seem to like Andy McPhail a little bit more than I realized. You know, he has said some dumb things in the past with that. If we don't, we don't comment. But he owned up to it in the presser. And he seemed to be the only one who went in knowing what he was doing and seemed prepared to actually answer questions, which was a good sign, I guess. But the other two guys, you know, that was just, it was not a good showing from the Phillies front yeah. office there. And just, I mean, just to, to touch on the, the best question of the, of the press conference from Matt Breen, he asked, you know, how is it fair to Gabe if, if you know, McPhail said, you know, we're not going to, um, go all in if if we think we're only getting a wild card spot. So like, obviously you have Middleton, McPhail, and Klasnick all saying, "Oh yeah, we didn't go all in at the All Star break. We 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 you know made a couple moves, but not anything big to to make the team a lot better." How is it fair to then penalize Kapler for falling apart at the end? Um, I thought that was a very good question, very fair question, and and I mean Middleton's answer was just horrible. Yeah, of course they of course they sidestepped it. Um. Yeah, that was a great question from Matt Breen, and overall, I thought that the the writers and reporters did a really good job yeah. asking questions in that press conference. Yeah. Uh, I know I listened to the At the Yard podcast the other day, and Jim Salisbury he had some other good questions that he talked about uh, wanting to ask, but they really just ran out of time because you know there was so much to to talk about in that one hour because of how you know how poorly the <laughs> the front office really handled it how those three guys handled that whole press conference but uh you have anything to add regarding the the post firing presser nah, it's... yeah so moving on from that i think we can uh move on to the phillies arbitration eligible players uh johnny if you want to you want to start that up we'll go over the players what their estimate uh you know, the estimate of the number that they'll receive in arbitration and whether we think they will keep those guys or not. All right, yeah, so um, MLB trade rumors every year, you know, around this time they'll release, obviously, the the estimated arbitration numbers for for um, players entering, you know, the first, second, third year of, of arbitration. So um, first one we'll, we'll talk about, uh, Cesar Hernandez um, at $11.8 million. Um, you know, I, I don't know how you feel, but I personally think, um, with the direction the team's heading with, you know, Scott Kingery, um, possibly becoming the everyday second baseman or even, you know, stuff about Gene Segura might be the second baseman of the future. I think 11.8 million for a guy like Cesar Hernandez at a position where you don't need someone. Uh, I think that's, I don't think that, that you know, tendering that contract is, is, is the greatest plan when you have so many other needs. So, I mean, how do you, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I think that, I think this is kind of the, the perfect time to move on from Cesar with that number that, you know, going to be so high this season. Uh, I think that, like, he's definitely not worth that money. He, he's been a yeah. very nice player for the Phillies over the years. Nothing great, but he's been a reliable, nice player for them. Mm-hmm. But uh, he's not, you know, a ten plus million dollar player for the Phillies. Uh, I I think that that was really what uh in the at the yard podcast the other day. That's what Seidman and and Salisbury both kind of they hit that point home. He he's not a ten million dollar player, and Salisbury said he got the five that uh they won't bring him back. So that's kind of my guess yeah. uh, on that front. Um, with not bringing him back, that's where it kind of gets interesting. What they'll do, whether 
you know, does Kingery slide in at second base? Does Segura move, o- move over? And then where do they add from there? So I do think yeah. they move on from Cesar Hernandez, but it'll be interesting to see what direction they go with after moving on from him. Yeah, uh, agreed. Um, and just a quick fun fact about Cesar Hernandez. Uh, he leads the Philly, like, so over the last decade, so 2010 to 2019, he leads off the Phillies in, in hits, runs, and walks, which, I mean, that just kind of shows the state of the organization over the last 10 years. Yeah, exactly. You know, a lot of, a lot of players in and out. Um, he didn't even start, you know, he didn't become the starting second baseman until 2015, so this is over, you know, a five-year stretch. Um, but anyway, moving moving forward, the next next guy, um, this one's a pretty easy call. Uh, JT Real Muto, Real Muto at uh, 10.3 million dollars. You know, I think the the bigger question here is is um, whether they're going to extend him before or after this number is agreed upon. Not you know anything specifically with the with the number in arbitration. Yeah. Um, do you think they definitely extend him this off season? I think they do. I think. You know, he's expressed interest in coming back, and I don't think there's a price that is too high for for J to bring JT Romuto back. It's just too important. You know, they traded Sixto Sanchez and Alfaro for him, and they can't even risk losing him after just two years. Yeah, I agree with that. What do you think the uh, the number might look like for him? My guess is the Howard contract, Ryan Howard contract, so five one twenty five. Which is a little more expensive than other people have, have have felt, but like I mean, he I think he has a lot of leverage, in that he is the best catcher in baseball, um, and you look at you know what other other guys have gotten, um, closer to the the twenty million dollar AAV range over the past few years. You know I think Russell Martin got like, you get four for eighty or five for eighty, but I mean that's Russell Martin. This is JT Real Muto. Um, and I, I think I think he's gonna get something like that. I mean, what do you think? I was thinking a little lower. I was thinking maybe around five one fifteen. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that number it wouldn't shock me if that's what he gets. Yeah. You're just a little bit higher than what I've yeah. kind of seen people guess. Yeah. Definitely. All right. Uh, moving forward. Uh, this is an easy call, Blake Parker. It's an easy non-tender at four point seven million dollars. Um, you know they brought him in 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 July, um, and he wasn't great. I mean he, he he was just they picked him up after he was released by the Twins. So I mean he was released for a reason and and he was fine, but he's not worth that number. Yeah, I'd agree. I think that's a pretty easy non-tender as well. Uh, all right, next Jose Alvarez, three million dollars. I think that's an easy call to tender that. Um, obviously, that's probably... Honestly, I think that might have been the best move from the offseason. Well, it can't be the best move from the offseason, but definitely just like a the best bullpen move that um, Matt Contact has ever made is, is trading Luis Garcia for Jose Alvarez. You know, Alvarez got off to a shaky start in, in 2019, but he really settled in, and he was honestly the most reliable reliever in the pen outside of Hector Neris. Yeah, he was super reliable down the stretch, especially, I felt like. And yeah. I think $3 million for him, or whatever it was, uh, yeah. I think that's a super easy call. He he was really, really, really good. That might have been, you know, there in an offseason last year where there were a lot of 
splashes. That was certainly the best on the margins move for Matt yes, Glendak. Absolutely. All right, next, uh, Michael Franco, $6.7 million. Yeah, I think that's an easy, easy non-tender. I think both sides are ready to, to kind of move on from this experience. I, I would be shocked if Michael Franco was back. I don't know. He's the best eight-hole hitter in history, so I don't know if he can move on from him. Wow. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, he, he, was, he, got like, he got intentionally walked 19 times this year. Uh, which was second most in baseball, uh, and it also inflated his on base percentage <laughs> ridiculously. I don't even know what his final style. I mean, he was he was horrible. So, and like you said, it, it's just time. Michael Arenado, uh, bro. Michael Franco's rookie year is like the biggest tease in Philly's history. Like, yeah, he, he was, was so good. He was he a was great minor awesome. league player too. I watched him a you, ton in Double A, twenty thirteen. Him and Jesse Biddle. They were like the oh di- they gosh. were the the dynamic double A duo. I watched a ton of them. Do you remember um, the series against the Yankees, Franco's rookie year? Oh my God! Yeah, it was amazing. Killed them. It was awesome, but yeah, it's 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 over. Yeah, it's it's sad to see him go because on like, I feel like on a personal level, I do like him. Like I don't know him, but I like Michael Franco the person. It's just that like. He's so bad, and all he does yeah, is beat the ball into the ground. And I'm, I'm, the Phillies and me are definitely ready to move on. I think it's a sad day. Sad day. I the think, end of I an think era. we came in three. We had three consecutive off seasons of the Phillies see Michael Franco as a dark horse MVP contender. That happened at least twice, like yeah, into 2016 and yeah. 2017, maybe yeah, like, in 2018. Like Andy said, maybe the next team can figure him out. Yeah. <laughs> All right, next is, you know, I won't I won't say his name, but I'll just say, the man who has the highest strikeout per nine in Philly's history, at four point seven million dollars. Yeah, you know, of course, you are talking about one Vince Velasquez, left field, you know, all star. <laughs> yeah, the you know the next Babe Ruth, Otani, Michael Lorenzen Otani, type yeah. of guy. Um, the you know the best two way player maybe in history, no Vince Velasquez, I think that number is it's worth taking a risk on on him personally, he is super frustrating at times, but he's also shown stretches where he can be very very good, yeah. you know that Marlins start where the Phillies absolutely blew up and they tagged Vince Velasquez for a ton of runs in that one inning. That actually ended a a pretty good streak of pitching for Vince Velasquez. He had yeah. a few starts in a row where he looked really, really good. And I started to tell people that I was right all along about Vince Velasquez. <laughs> and I believe I said that I believe I said that right as that game started to yeah, Brandon Apter. I, I remember you texting me or or DMing me like in the second inning of that game that like Vince was back. Oh and yeah, that. I did. I told a bunch of people. I told you Oh. I told Ben Seltzer and I told Brandon after like, hey guys, Vince is legit. Like he's pitching great. And then I think it was the third inning. Like he just he got shelled. Well, all right. So, and like you said, he was pretty good for a stretch before that, and he was good for a stretch after that too. Um, for for a few starts. And I think when you look at the Phillies rotation now, I think you have three guys who are are going to be in that rotation next year, and that's Aaron Nola, Jay Garrietta, and Zach Eflin. Um. I would I would argue those are 
virtual guarantees unless, you know, they somehow acquire more than two good starting pitchers. But beyond that, you know, even if they do get two, two starting pitchers, they need depth. And Vince Velasquez is very frustrating, but he's not bad. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say Vince Velasquez is bad. And I think when you, when you need depth, having Vince Velasquez as, you know, the, the, the sixth or seventh guy who, you know, if someone gets hurt or you need a spot start, go to him. And I also think, you know, if they decide, you know, he doesn't work as a starter anymore, but we want to try him as a, as a late inning guy, um, you know, give him a full uh, spring training work and, and see where his velo can go as a one inning guy. I think it could be interesting. There's there's too much talent there just to, to give up on him. But. Yeah, one, one more thing on Vince before we move on to the next guy is I don't think that using him as a traditional starter is the way for him to operate. And I don't think using him as a one-inning reliever is the way for him to operate. I think the best thing that the Phillies could do is use an opener for all his starts and then let him go two times through the order and not let him touch the third time through the order and take him out. I he's super effective th- through the first two times around the order, and then once he hits the third time, he's, like, historically bad at it. So I think sometimes, you know, uh, I'm a, overall a Gabe Kapler guy, but I think that Gabe didn't always put Viz Velasquez in the, you know, most opportune position to succeed. And I think that if they uh, will utilize Vince in – a, that specific way that I mentioned, I think he could have a pretty good year next year, because uh, I just uh, I don't see him as as that regular starter or you know that typical bullpen one inning guy either. Yeah, and and that's something we've seen work for for guys like that. You know, uh, down in Tampa Bay, Ryan Yarbrough, Yanni Torinos, um, those both of those guys. You know, you when when they have the opener in front of them, they go four or five innings. It's worked out really well. Obviously, we've seen we've seen the strategy work out for the Rays and work out for those players in general. And I and I definitely agree. Like Vince Velasquez, super effective through the the first second time through the order. So so you know I think that idea would not be received well uh, among the Phillies fan base in general. But I agree that it, it could definitely work pretty well. Oh no, uh, they everyone would would hate it. But I I personally would yeah, love it, and that's all that hate, matters. Let's hate the idea that literally helped bring a team that paid, spent $60 million on their whole roster to the playoffs. Like, come on. like. Listen, we, you, you can keep your analytics. We don't need that. What we need <laughs> is just a little more hustle. Yeah. Old-fashioned baseball. Seriously, that's what we need. Yeah. All right. Uh, another self, pretty, pretty easy call here. Uh, Hector Neris. At four point seven million dollars. Yeah, that's an easy call. Hector Neris was easily the Phillies' best reliever this season, and mm-hmm. I don't think there's a question whether or not they bring him back or not. Yeah, I agree. Hector Neris, sixth all time in franchise history of scoreless appearances, right behind Ricky Vitalico. Like, I was looking at, at this earlier. He's like seven scoreless appearances behind Ricky Vitalico for fifth all time. Fun fact for you guys: Ricky Vitalico. Who ha- he indeed does have me blocked on Twitter. So there's another little fun stat for you yeah. guys. Awesome. Love it. No, but right. about, one more thing about Hector. Uh, his <laughs> splitter is absolutely insane. Like, I I love that uh, he just has one pitch that is yeah. so good. Like, you see that a lot with relievers today. 
guys just going with their best pi- their best pitch regardless of what it is and just you know u- using their strength so much and it, it really is ridiculous how good Hector Neris's splitter is and how effectively he's able to use that speaking of relievers who have who always use their best pitch let's talk about the next guy on the list Mike Morin at 1.2 million dollars tell me about Mike Morin what do you think here yeah, I think Mike Morin is an interesting uh, ARB guy. I think they should bring him back at that number. You know, we talked earlier about him uh, about him being their high leverage option at the end of the season this year and how that was not very good. But I do think that a more middle relief to low leverage type of role for him would be good. I love how ridiculous that changeup is. Yeah, it's so it's slow. Pitch. It's so slow, like it's not. It doesn't even seem real. It's, I don't know. It, he doesn't seem. He doesn't fit the typical 2019, 2020 reliever mold. But I do like him, and I hope they bring him back. Yeah, I mean, he got shelled a couple times, but for for the most part, was pretty reliable. Um, so I I agree. I think one point two million dollars. I don't see why you don't just like you said, low leverage guy. He's perfect. Uh, so this is a pretty interesting one. Um. Jared Eikhoff at $1.5 million. Um, so Jared Eikhoff was awesome in 20, was 2016. Yeah, I think it was 2016. That's cr- it's that long ago. And then, um, you know, wasn't as good in 2017. Injuries, injuries kept him off the field for, for most of 2018. And then this year, you know, he, he came up, took over in the rotation in May, had a really awesome stretch. Uh, had that uh, start in St. Louis. It was like eight innings pitch, one run. It was awesome. But then <laughs> he went on a stretch that was absolutely horrible. He allowed like so many home runs. It was awful. And then, you know, he got sent down, got hurt, had, didn't really hear from him again. So I think, I don't think it, it'd be bad to keep him around for, for a depth option. He was at least somewhat effective for for part of his time in the made when he was up this year, but one point five million dollars. It's not a ton of money, but it is. It could be used elsewhere. So, what do you think about Eikhoff? No, nah, I think that Eikhoff is mostly cooked. Like, super good guy, has had some real success in the past, especially that twenty sixteen season. But overall, I think he's like mostly done, and I think they should move on from him. There, it's less the money. And just more the fact that I think they could get somebody better and it's not really worth, like, bringing him back. Yeah, the roster spot, definitely. Um, all right, uh, next one. Adam Morgan at $1.6 million. So, you know, I think me and you both would agree that this seems like a pretty easy yes, um, bring him back at this number. But in an article for The Athletic yesterday, Megan Montemore-Muro, uh, said that she's not really sure what their what their plan will be for for Morgan. Um, you know, she mentioned that obviously he was out for a big chunk of this year. Uh, his fastball velo was down. Um, I still think he was pretty effective this year. Uh, he was using that slider more, and it, it worked for him. And and uh, I just think having that that guy out of the pen um, at one point six million dollars, I don't think they would move on from him. I don't know. How, how do you feel? Yeah, I, I think that they'll bring him back. 
I know the injuries are a concern, but early on this season, he looked really, really, really good. Like, he, no one could touch his slider for a while, it felt like. He, he kind of, you know, he seems like one of the few guys that Chris Young, like, really positively affected, telling him to just, like, stick with that slider and, and roll with it. And I, I think that is a really good approach for him because he is so good uh, with that slider. And, I, uh, yeah, I think that they will bring him back, and I think they should bring him back as well. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, all right, so a couple, uh, you know, uh, you know, bench guys, Phil Gosselin and Jose Perella. Um, I think the the move here is probably not to to tender them and then to sign them to minor league deals. What do you think? Yeah, um, I'd probably agree with that. Maybe there's an outside outside shot they tender Gosselin. But the other two guys, probably not. Yeah. Uh, or Ramos. the other guy, sorry. I said two yeah, guys. No, all good. Yeah. I mean, just, just to touch on Gosselin a little bit. He was pretty good as a pinch hitter this year. Um, and he wasn't up a lot. But when he was, he was he was probably their best pinch hitter. I mean, he had the, the most pinch hits on the team. And having a guy like that around, whether it be up here or, or in Lehigh Valley, isn't the worst thing in the world. Yeah, the, that's a good point, but I don't know if one season of limited pinch hits is necessarily, like, it, it proves that it's a skill, because we saw oh. in 2018 Nick Williams was a very good pinch hitter, and he wasn't good as a starter, and he was not good at all this year, so, you know, yeah. it's kind of a small I mean, sample size. I, I, I agree, I don't think you can, I mean, you take that with a grain of salt, but I, I definitely just think it's worth <clears> mentioning that he did have some success this year. Um, Edward Bray Ramos, hey. Hundred thousand uh, dollars. What are your thoughts here? Um, I don't know. I really don't know what what the move is here. I think that uh, Edibre, he he's had some success. You know, he uh, he he's put some good innings up for the Phillies, but I really don't know exactly what they're gonna do with him. Uh, yeah. Going forward. Yeah, I I agree. Um. Yeah, I, I think he's probably gone, but we'll see. Would it, uh, would it like, shock Eflin. you if they brought him back? What? Was would that? it shock you if they brought him back? No, it wouldn't. Um, it just, you know, that having roster spots available is really valuable, especially going into an offseason where you're you're thinking that they'll probably spend a lot, a lot of money again, um, fill a lot of holes. So I think simply... For that reason, he just might be gone. Uh, Zach Eflin for $3 million is no-brainer. Like I said earlier, I think he's a shoe-in for a spot in the rotation. He had a really good stretch to start the season, had a really good stretch to end the season, and was really bad in the middle. But I think overall, he's proved that he can be a pretty pretty reliable number five or number four with the upside of giving you, you know, a, a lot of innings and some in a good amount of his starts. Yeah, I uh, think that that's a pretty easy uh, tender. I I think, you know, we saw a lot of good out of Eflin this year. Also saw a good amount of bad. So, but like you said, overall he is like he's a reliable major league starting pitcher. Yeah, agreed. And then last one. Now, anyone who doesn't know Ty, this is his favorite player. Probably of all time. 
Yeah. And probably the Philly fan, Philly's fan base's least favorite player of all time. And that's that's catcher Andrew Knapp. So at eight hundred thousand dollars, I mean, I think that it's a pretty easy call. You know, I think the perception that Knapp is like a horrible backup catcher, I I don't think that's necessarily true. Um, I think watching him, it's pretty easy to tell that he's defensively he's gotten a lot better. Um, just you know, with receiving and framing and all all of that stuff. Um, and I, you know, he's not the best hitter, but it doesn't matter for a backup catcher really all that much. He's not gonna be playing that much. Um, yeah, yeah, and even if you uh, if you want to upgrade that, he I believe he has options left. So yeah, I, I think it's a pretty easy tender uh, for yeah. Andrew Knapp. If they didn't bring Andrew Knapp back, I'd be devastated. I'm not gonna lie. He's like <laughs> everyone hates him, but I think he's just a super fun guy. Easy to easy to watch. You know, he goes out there, he does the fun stuff like throw the seeds after a home run, and he seems it seems like his teammates really like him. And he seems like a likable guy. So on that yeah. front, I, I do like Nap a lot, man. Yeah, and um, saw, you know, somewhere that it was said, you know, that he feels like how he prepares for the pitching staff and stuff. And like I said, I just think he's he's definitely improved. And I think the most important skill out of your backup catcher is just, you know, being able to, to receive and be a solid backstop. Yeah, I think uh, he calls a really good game. And I think some yeah. of the pitchers, you know, I know JT Realmuto is – the best defensive catcher in baseball and he's gotten even better at framing since he's came to the Phillies and his pop time and his arm are insane. But I think some of the pitchers at points during the season preferred throwing the nap. It seemed like Eflin was super comfortable yeah. with him. Yeah. I feel like Nola likes throwing the nap. This isn't me saying that Andrew Knapp should be the starting catcher over JT Real Muto or anything. You know, I wouldn't be opposed to it, but uh, all right. <laughs> all right, we're going to move on. <laughs> but no, they need yeah. to bring that back. They do. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, pretty easy call. All right, so that's everyone. Um, so we're gonna move on. Yeah. Next up, uh, after just got just getting done with the ARB eligible players on the Phillies, we have the uh, the potential Phillies target spotlight here. Um, this is the segment we'll do over at least the beginning of the off season where we'll talk about who we think the Phillies should go after uh we're gonna we're gonna let Johnny go first here uh he has a pretty interesting guy the Phillies uh should go after in his opinion Johnny why don't you why don't you tell us who you think yeah so uh Corey Kluber is the guy so I, I wrote about this um I think in September um and that was before the Indians picked up his option for for 2020 so uh the Indians did pick up Kluber has a seventeen and a half billion dollar option for twenty twenty. Um, Indians picked it up, so right now, um, you know, he appears to be headed back to Cleveland. He won't he won't be a free agent, but that doesn't mean at all that that he won't be available. Uh, we've seen the Indians over the past couple of years really express that they they wish to, you know, keep their um, their spending low and, and they're they're definitely willing to cut. Um, spending if it means you know being able to fill other holes in the team and they have a really good rotation outside of Kluber. Kluber didn't even pitch after May. Um, and so, so moving into that, uh, Corey Kluber, one of the best pitchers in baseball for four or five year stretch heading into the season. Um, and then this year, he uh, was really bad for a month, 
and then uh, took a ball off the, the forearm, and, and that was it. Uh, he, um, you know, was rehabbing back in July, strained an oblique and never made it back. So it's kind of a question of, of is he even good anymore? You know, we didn't really get to see it this, this year, but um, I think when you look at his struggles the first month of the season, a lot of aces were struggling the first month of the season, um, and that could have been to a, a different ball. Um, you know, obviously we had the, the juice ball, and the seams might be a little different. You know, we saw Aaron Nola struggle. We saw Chris Sale struggle. Um, Max Scherzer was struggling the first month of the season. It wasn't just Kluber. So personally, I don't think he's cooked. I think you know he's he's a guy who really knows how to pitch, uh, and for seventeen and a half million dollars this this season, the Phillies need starting pitching. And while it'd be, it's easy to say, you know, I want Garrett Cole and I want Jake Odorizzi, you know, there there are a lot of other teams that need starting pitching too. So um, the Phillies might have to get creative in adding a starting pitcher and I think that's where a guy like Kluver comes in you know it's, it's a risk you're taking a shot on a guy who um, only started a handful of games this year but um, at the end of the day I mean I think it's a risk worth taking when you look at his body of work over the past several years and I don't think it would cost too much in terms of prospects for the Phillies to trade for him um, so you know Ty I'm, I'm interested to hear you know your response to that if, if how you would feel about Kluber as a potential addition to this team. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely intriguing. I don't know how much it would cost, and that kind of makes me hesitant to say yes or no. Like, I definitely want him, or I definitely don't want him. But it's certainly an intriguing option this offseason for a team that so desperately needs starting pitching. Um, I think that him not pitching too much over the last year and not being as good as he was. Um, that might help them get him for uh, a little bit less, which which would be a good thing yeah, if he could. Definitely. If they could get him for a cheap price and he pitches like, you know, Cy Young Kluber, it could go down <laughs> as one of the better deals in team history. But, yeah. yeah and, it, and it, there, go ahead. Uh, there's just wanted to throw this out there, too. There's a uh... – $18 million option for 2021. So, you know, if they were to acquire him and he were to pitch well, uh, they have that, that second year there, um, which, you know, just increase that value there. Too. If you had to guess what the trade package would look like, what do you think it would be? So, like you said, it's kind of hard to say. Um, but I think when you look at the fact that he didn't pitch very much this year, and when he did, it was really bad results um i think you know something along the lines of uh you know adam hazley and then a couple you know mid-level prospects which i understand that is definitely like a, a decent price to give up for for a risk like kluver but um i don't know i'd definitely be intrigued yeah um you, you have anything else to say about Kluber, or am I good to go with mine, then? Uh, one more thing, too. I just want to say, like, the whole – he didn't pitch a lot this year. I think that could eventually – or that could that could definitely work in Kluber's favor when you look at – you know, he's someone who pitched 200 innings for, for several years consecutively. Um, I don't hate the I, – I don't think that a year 
of you know not pitching very much was bad for him. I think maybe he comes back really fresh next year. Just you know, I I think as a Philly or as you know an Indian or even somewhere else, I think that Kluber's gonna be really intriguing to watch next year, and I think he might surprise some people. All right, there you have it, Corey Kluber, Cy Young candidate, twenty twenty. <laughs> All right, <laughs> All right <laughs> All go right. ahead, man. <laughs> All right, uh, my my target spotlight here. Um, I was kind of debating who I should go with, whether I go with the cop-out answer of Garrett Cole, but I think I'm going to go with a little, uh, you know, lesser-known guy, somebody that the Phillies actually did have on the team this year. I think they really need to bring Corey Dickerson back. He is, he, you know, he was one of the more reliable bats uh, down the stretch this year before he got injured. I think that Dickerson is a really underrated player, uh, throughout baseball, I don't see him getting too big of a contract this year. And with Andrew McCutcheon getting older and, you know, coming off the injury, I know Dickerson's injury prone as well, but a kind of platoonish system there, I think it would work really well. And if Dickerson doesn't get too much money on the market, if he's not getting a ton of offers, I think the Phillies really need to bring him back. He, he was super good uh, for the Phillies in the second half. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he was good, and, like, I agree. He's definitely really underrated throughout baseball. I just don't know. Like, I guess it depends. Is he going to get, you know, the option to start elsewhere? Um, you know, what, what's the contract going to look like? I definitely don't hate the idea of having him. Um, if they can get him for cheap, I think it's a no-brainer. Uh, like you said, a, a platoon with him and McCutcheon. The only thing is, like, if, if they have Dickerson, McCutcheon, and Harper, like, there is no way that those three should ever be starting in the same game because none of those guys can play center field. And if they play a decent chunk of games where those three guys are starting, then there's a problem. They, they need a center fielder, whether it's Taisley or someone well, else. Bryce Harper was a very good center fielder when Stop. he was 19 years old. <laughs> you can't even disagree with that. He was. He was a good outfielder yeah. that rookie year. Now he's, an old, now he's old. He's got kids. He's got a kid, you know. He's like he's 27. Man. What are you talking about? What? He's like 27. <laughs> yeah, he's an old guy. But, yeah, no, I do agree with that. None of those guys, although they are good uh, corner outfielders, like all all three of them are good outfielders, but none of them are center fielders. Yeah. So I think it, it would have to be a platoon situation with McCutcheon and Dickerson in left field. Yeah. And then I, th- I think that... Kingery probably plays center field next year, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, if, if they non-tender Cesar, I think that Kingery plays second. and I think, I think Segura slides over. Who's our shortstop? I think they signed someone. Point blank. Who, who, who are they signing? Didi? Yeah, why not? Didi Gregorius. Yeah, I'm fine with that. I mean, yeah. The whole Segura thing, like the fact that they traded for him with the idea that they're going to move him over kind of absurd like i don't know i just this is a thought that's you know it's rolled in my around in my head on multiple occasions do you think the phillies would have been better off keeping scott kingery at shortstop and playing carlos santana at third base because (laughs) last year that was a real conversation people had like a lot of people were convinced that carlos santana would be the opening day starting third baseman that was yeah people definitely thought that uh i think wow you know i think they would have been better this year just I mean, there's on... no way that you knew Carlos Santana was going to have <laughs> that career year that he ended up having. But it it is, like, interesting to, to think back about 
what could have been and how really different the team was at the beginning of last offseason to this offseason. Yeah. It was I mean, a lot more hopeful. Oh, you know, that that was a that trade was a win at the time. I think I called that trade a fleecing at the time and I don't feel good about it at all. Yeah, at least, you know, there was that little stretch where JP Crawford was, you know, hitting the cover off the ball. Thank goodness that didn't last, like or else we'd be losing our minds. Yeah, but I mean, Carlos Santana had a better year than Bryce Harper this year. Yeah, I mean, he some do say that Carlos Santana is better than Bryce Harper. I I'm not going <laughs> to say that, but I did someone said to me that that they didn't think that Carlos Santana's style fit the Phillies lineup, and I basically said that Bryce Harper was just a better version of Carlos Santana, like hitting for power and walking a lot. Like, wow, I agree with that to an, to an extent. Yeah, I I wish Carlos Santana was better here because, like, I watched like a, a good amount of Indians games, and he just like seems like a really fun player to have. Yeah, he was like. I mean, that whole team's fun, but he was made out to be like a villain here because Jake Arrieta's terrible. <laughs> oh man, that whole thing. Yeah. Any yeah. player that wears his socks above his knees is is good in my book. So yeah, Santana, true. Hunter Pence, Hunter Pence, love them all. Absolutely, Peter Borges. All right, never mind. <laughs> all right, uh, next thing we got. This is the last segment of the day for us we're gonna do our interesting stat of the week johnny why don't you go first with your interesting stat all right so you know before tonight i was thinking i would do one of my typical uh bashing reese hoskin stats because i just think it's fascinating how horrible he was the second half of the year oh but i'm not gonna do that i'll do that on another podcast um so i was watching nationals game tonight obviously game four between that and the cardinals that's destroying them in that series but anyways first inning patrick corbin strikes out the side and he gets five swings and misses so i look back again this is first inning out of 13 pitches that corbin throws five swings and misses. i, I look back at, at jake arietta's game log he had nine starts this season where he he recorded five or less swings and misses like entire starts like 100 pitch starts we got five or less swings and misses that is absolutely horrible. He could strike guys out if he wanted to. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> that comes right from the source, Jake Arrieta. Oh he could God. strike guys out if he wanted to. I am not looking forward to another year with Jake Arrieta. Although... He's so bad. He was pretty good the first month this year. Who knows? Did Weren't you the one who's told me the other day that you're convinced he's going to be back? I think, I think there's... It is not out of the realm of possibility that Jake Arrieta... Post Bone Spurge, Jake Arrieta is back. Not like 2015 Jake Arrieta back, but like first half of 2018 Jake Arrieta. That was a pretty good pitcher. I'll take that. Not a fan. Not a fan. Yeah. All well, right. No one's a fan of Jake Arrieta here. Here, here's my interesting stat of the week. I think this is one that the people <laughs> will love. You know, if you hated John Maley, this is a stat that will really you know, kind of pique your interest. Andrew Knapp, for his career, when John Maley is the hitting coach, 600 OPS. Andrew Knapp, when John Maley is not the hitting coach, 
745 OPS. That's a completely different player, man. Completely if Andrew Knapp, if Andrew Knapp has a 745 OPS, you have one of the the better backup catchers in baseball. You really do. I mean, that's true. <laughs> Andrew Knapp has been one of the better backup catchers in baseball when John Maley is not currently employed. It's true. You know, he had, he was good in 2017. People thought Knapp? he should be the leadoff hitter in 2017. Knapp was awesome in 2017. Uh, Did he have the mustache then? I don't think so, but... He should bring it back regardless. Yeah, like, so the other night I was talking about that one Kapler lineup from 2018... Uh, for anyone listening, it's this absurd Gabe, my favorite Gabe Kapler lineup of all time, in which the first four batters are Carlos Santana, Reese Hoskins, Justin Bohr, and Wilson Ramos, and that's three first basemen and a guy who can't even play catcher well, and I just think like it's hilarious that the Phillies managed to do that. So, anyways, you know, a couple guys responded to me about the game where uh, Andrew Knapp added the leadoff. Um, first of all, I've kind of forgot about that. Second of all, I was looking back. I, I haven't stopped in, thinking about it. <laughs> in 2017, Andrew, Na- like, Pete McCannon, there was this whole article about how, like, Pete McCannon was severely, like, seriously thinking about how he should bat Andrew Knapp leadoff. Andrew Knapp was awesome in 2017. Elite eye, really. I mean, probably the best eye in baseball. One of them. Yeah. <laughs> All right. No, what, one more thing before we're going to let you guys go is, you know, kind of in memory of Gabe Kapler's tenure here and in honor of our friend Andrew Knapp. We're going to talk about that Andrew Knapp batting leadoff <laughs> game where Andrew Knapp, he worked like something like a 12-pitch at bat to lead off the game, ended up striking out. The Phillies had a big day offensively. I don't remember what the final score was, but I know they won. Offense had a good day. They, you know, they talked to Gabe about it post game, and Gabe Kapler said that that strikeout was the most important at-bat for the Phillies that night. And, Set the tone. You know, if that doesn't tell you a lot about the Gabe Kapler era, I, I don't know what else <laughs> to tell you. I'm gonna, it was fun. It was probably never really going to work out. You knew he was going to get scapegoated eventually. Yeah. But I enjoyed it, and I will, I, miss, I will miss it dearly. Seeing Jose Perella in the lineup three times a week, I mean, it was, it was a lot of fun. Different lineups every day. I think... A lot of people hate that, and, like, I get, like, oh, consistency and all that, but I think it's fun. I don't think it actually affects the players that much. It doesn't. It doesn't at all. Yeah, so there you have it. Yeah, all right. This has been Phillies Nation Podcast. I'm Ty Dobbert for Johnny Heller. Thank you guys for listening. We're going to get you next Wednesday. See ya. You can listen to the Phillies Nation Podcast with Ty Dobbert and Johnny Heller Every Wednesday on philliesnation.com and all streaming services.